0: Okay, um, please can you turn with me to Acts chapter uh, 2, and verses uh, 41 uh, to 42. That's not very bright, is it? Oh, well, okay. Uh, 41 to 42. Uh, we're uh, just going to read the two verses. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 42. So those who received the word uh, were baptised, uh, and they were added that day, About 3,000 souls still waiting for it, but believing in it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread uh, and to prayers. Now over the next uh, few weeks, what we're going to do is look at four aspects of church life. And uh, they are important because they follow the responding of the gospel of the 3,000 and the forming of those 3,000 people into a church. They are therefore foundational. They are therefore important. They are therefore priorities. And so what we're looking at is how does the church behave when it's saved when somebody gets saved or a group of people gets saved how what should it look like what should it smell like what should it feel like Now if someone were to visit Mark Cuthbert were to visit Gateway Church Wrexham I wonder what he would say I wonder whether he would go back to Shrewsbury, maybe, and would report back something like this. We went to Gateway Church, Wrexham. They are the folk that devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayers. It's a challenge, isn't it? But that actually is the basic requirement of any person coming into a church that exists that love Jesus and have responded to the gospel, the people should come amongst us, and this should be what they say when we uh, gather. I want to look at this verse: that salvation just doesn't change your relationship with God; it changes your relationship with what is now a community of believers. In verse thirty-seven, in the, in chapter two, it says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we read verse 37, uh, we, we hear of a people who were listening to Peter's preaching. And it says of these people, they were cut to the heart or they were pierced to the heart. Now, we should not be surprised at this response. This is a normal response, not an abnormal response. Peter was preaching God's word. God's word should get to us. He's preaching from Joel 2. And it's having an effect. He's preaching from Psalm 16, Psalm 110. He's telling people about Jesus Christ. And not only that, he's telling them that. He's telling that as a person filled with the Spirit. And it's cutting them to the heart. So the Word of God was not just Peter's words, as it were. That sort of did it. It was also that this was a man who had word and spirit, and it cut people to the heart. So he was preaching the scripture, but he's full of the spirit. It's awesome. The response is three thousand. I want to suggest to you that that is not. It's an interesting response to the gospel, but it's also the way that we should be responding to preaching. I want to suggest to you that our hearts should be similar to those people, that our response to preaching should be that it affects our heart. that it shouldn't be just something that we are listening to and evaluating, that it should actually get under the skin and cause a response in us. It is emotional, should be. It should be affecting the way that we are. You should be able to go out from preaching affected. What happened? The people cried out to Peter and the apostles. What a response to this. What shall we do? That's magnificent, isn't it? It's extraordinary. What a wonderful thing. Think about this. Uh, They had run away from God. For year upon year, hundreds and hundreds of years, they'd been in denial and rebellion, but they could no longer resist the word of God and the spirit of God. And they say, what must I do? What, what, what can I do? Please, will you help me right now? I want nothing but your... That's a great phone call to have. It's a phone call that I've never had. Never had. In all the 20 odd years that I've been leading churches, people have come to me with conditional things and, you know, can you help me with this? I've never had, you're going to do it to me this afternoon, aren't you? But I've never had one of those, you know, where it's been a complete, utter, you tell me what I need to do with my life and I will do it. Never had one. But that actually is Biblical response to the world of God. Clean sheet. What? You tell me what I must do, and I will do it. I haven't responded like that to preaching. Have you? Steve's going. (laughs) So the answer is no, because Belinda will tell him afterwards in the car that he hasn't. So Anyway, when people say, what must I do, it shows there's something going on in here. They they have a felt need. They're saying, I need something and what we must do. And Peter gives them an explanation on what they must do. We'll get to the devoted stuff on the way. I'm doing the introduction so that the guys don't have to do this. And so what he says is that in verse 38, he tells them what they should do. And he says, what you need to do is repent. You need forgiveness. You need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized. That's simple. There you go, guys. And that's the start. That's just the beginning. You'll go on and tell them a little bit after that. That's the bottom line. This is what you need to do. Repent. Receive your forgiveness. Be baptised in the Holy Spirit. Go and get yourself baptised. Extraordinary. And they went something like this. Okay. Now if I just visited you and said, what must I need? Now what I need you to do is these four things. How would we do? The elders say there are four things that I should do. Well, I'd do two and a half. It's interesting, isn't it? This is the biblical response to preaching and to leadership. Okay? I will do it. How do we know they do it? Because we get the story. These people in verse 37, they cut to the heart. Why are they cut to the heart? Because it had been explained to them that God had made Jesus Christ. Sorry, that they, they had been cut to the heart because God had sent to them Jesus Christ. And they had killed him. That's the sermon. In other words, you guys, including me, you are utterly at odds with God you are living against his will you're out of step with his character you're in violation with his word God's going one way you're going another way and the consequence of that was you killed the son of God I I also by my attitude uh, killed the son of God and I I'm not often cut to the heart. What they desperately needed, and what I need, and what God did in his amazing grace was to give them forgiveness. Forgiveness is incredibly releasing. Amazing stuff. They had offended God, they would violated God, they had disobeyed God. And the only way was to look back to God, to find a way back to him. And God offered them one in his son. And in their repentance, they received forgiveness. Wonderful statement. These were a forgiven, repentant people who knew exactly what they had done. The second need was that they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, what does it mean to get, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? tells us. It tells us that they were baptised in the Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 5. It says that they were filled with the Spirit. 2, 4. They were empowered by the Spirit. 1, 8. Luke 24. It says that they later on they were described as indwelt by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Oh, don't we get in a mess with this one. Don't we? You know... If, if somebody were to describe to you a singular event, most of us would describe it differently, wouldn't we? The same event slightly different. Let's stick to that explanation. But it's interesting that all of them describe an experience. Let me just be theologically um, upsetting about this. No, they don't. This is not a personal experience for you and God. This is not a warm glow to help you Monday morning. This describes the foundational necessity experience for what? Church life. That is what is being set out here. It's not... I, you know, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so I can feel good about myself. Those things are incorrect theologically and practically. This is what every church member should experience because they are trying to now build church. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can go on, which we'll come to, it is the basic requirement to build here's the thing that's why we need to be filled with the spirit so that we can build third need verse 38 and they were baptized every one of you in the name of jesus Christ. don't remember this that as soon as they're going ticking these off they're going and doing them which is extraordinary i'm just going to do this list okay what you need is these things okay let's do that that is a wonderful church to lead in it here's 35 things that you should do okay Let's change that to 42. Oh, okay. I'll do the whole 42. Try 97 next week. 97! Do the whole 97. It, what an amazing... Oh, Lord. Please. Oh, no. Sorry. Anyway, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's an interesting thing. The basic thing of church life is an out, a public demonstration of what's taken place. Church is not a private thing. It's a public thing. How do I know it was public? Because the only baptism that had taken place before that was John's baptism. And John's baptism was the only baptism they knew when they were flocking out in thousands to be baptised out in the Jordan. One after another, it was a public change. This was the same baptism that any ever known one. You can't go back to look at this event. You have to go back into Scripture and look at it. So these people were saying, "Okay, now I'm going to publicly declare that I have got the gospel in my heart. What's that mean? It means that it's not just about this community. It's about the wider community. So we get to verse 42. So those that received the word were baptized and added that day 3,000. Okay, we'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll repent, we'll be forgiven. Yeah, okay, forgiveness, yes, do that. Okay, right. Amazing. Okay, baptized in the Spirit, yes. Okay, do that. We want you to do this publicly. Yeah, no problem. It's interesting. I spend most of my time encouraging people to do these things. Don't the elders most of the elders, can't you, if you go over, to a pastor's meeting, you need to gently, but there's none of that. This is just absolute, complete obedience to these things. The elders say from the word of God, do this. Okay. Just like that. You're all going, yeah. No. <laughs> verse 42. Let's get to the, the, the issue that matters. But now, look at verse 42. Having received those things, repented, forgiveness, baptism in the Spirit, baptised, it says, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. There are two important words here that you need to... They are hugely theological and deep. First one is this, the small word, and. The and means that what they've just gone through is not... the, the, The story is not yet finished. And. Okay, that's the and. The verse 42 is linked to all that has gone before, and. Now we do this, and we're going to do that. So repentance, forgiveness, baptism is not the end of the journey. It's the beginning of the journey. The second important word is they. That's the whole 3,000. Meaning this. That at this point, Peter didn't go in front of the 3,000 and say, look guys, you know, I know that you love God and you've repented and love the baptism. But there's some other stuff now. But, you know, if you want to come with us, please do that. And so 17 and a half said, yeah, we'll come. And 2,800 and whatever, 87, whatever it was, said, no, thank you, no. Here's the response, the biblical response is that, and we're now going to do this, and they. That's the whole 3,000. The whole 3,000 said, yeah, we'll do that. Can you imagine, <laughs> can you imagine a gateway church response? So it goes something like this. I want you to stand and come forward uh, if, you know, you would receive prayer. Well, actually, I seven do, isn't it? But here is a biblical response to our heart's that we publicly respond together they i think it's, what can you understand why the church looked powerful at this point because as soon as peter said okay what are we going to do they they said okay we're up for this uh, a a global 3000 said they so what did it look like i'm sorry about the uh, the bit the overriding quality was devoted Don't you love that? Verse 42. And they devoted themselves. The the phrase they devoted themselves. I find that one of the most inspiring, dynamic descriptions of early church that you can get. (laughs) They were devoted. The first words ever written about a church. Let's pray that they're the last words written about churches as well. What a first word, devoted. Springboard to launch them into a new direction. <laughs> how, do you, how do you serve one another, serve a people, serve God and change a world? Devoted. Let's just be blunt. We ain't going to do it by, and they were half-hearted. And they didn't respond. Just be honest. Just be honest. Level with myself, Nigel. We, we ain't going to do it. We're only going to do it when collectively, we, Gateway Church, can be devoted. The Greek word for devoted is uh, proskaterio, which actually means to join heart. First, these people... Were devoted because their hearts had been joined. It means that they. It means to adhere to. To I'm sticking to this. You're not going to move me. Somebody asked me at the wedding, "Had I always been a Wolverhampton Wanderers supporter?" Sorry about this if you're an Everton supporter. And I said I was born in Wolverhampton. I will always be a person. I will die as a person born in Wolverhampton. And I will die to, and, uh, as a Wolverhampton Wanderers supporter. That will be the way that I will be. I will stick to it. You know, some people don't stick to church. They just don't. They go and find another one that just suits where it itches for them. You know, they, church, they don't stick to it. Here's a people, no, I, I'm joined with you by heart, I'm dear to you, I'm ready, I, I'm ready to give attention, I'm faithful, carries the idea, I'm single-mindedness, It carries an idea of commitment and full dedication. This is who these people were. This is how they are described. This was a people who had only been saved a few hours before. They didn't need 97 commitment courses to do this. Something had occurred in their heart. No, why now now I'm devoted. This is a people that, de- that came together because the focus of it was what Jesus was, had done and what Jesus was going to do, which was the promise of build his church. So they're on. There was like, I want you to be devoted to social meetings or hey guys you know let's be devoted to hanging out together no it wasn't anything like that this was serious stuff they were dedicated what to the things of god together that was what they were devoted to they were devoted to god working things out in their lives great to have coffee with each other glass of wine barbecue all that sort of stuff whatever jazz night but actually we've come together because the things of god that's what we're here to do we're here to change together to be more christ-like that's what they're devoted to instantly they were like this Luke makes it sound as if there was nothing else more important to these men and women than being devoted to, than being devoted. Wow, there's nothing else more important. That's a challenge, isn't it? Rupert and Fleur, baby. How will that go? Tim and Rachel, marriage. Nigel, Dicky back, church gone. It's true, isn't it? There's nothing else that was single-minded in this thing. Ah, the answer is, it was different. They were hugely different. Do you not know this? This was a special time in Scripture. We know that. This is Pentecost and all the things. It was happening then, it doesn't happen today. We know that. Come on, Nigel, this is in Scripture. It's not us. Come on. We live in twenty first summer, twenty first century person. Problems are different. No rubbish. Come on. Think about it. These were the same people who, who's, these were the same people who had kids like you. They had kids. These were married people and single people. These were people who had jobs to attend to. These were people that were living in an occupied land. These were people that were living in poverty. These were people that were having difficulties. These were people who it was not easy. In fact, these were people that it was worse for them than it is for you and me. And yet, they broke through. They were devoted. I'm extremely challenged by this. Okay? Before I move on and we get onto the subject in matter, what I want you to do this I wanted to mark yourself out of um, one to 10. And one is uh, not so devoted, and 10 is wholly devoted. And what you're saying is this: Where am I on the scale of being devoted to the things of God that comes under the umbrella of Gateway Church, Wrexham? Mark yourself. I will not embarrass you. I'm not going to call everybody under five to come forward. This is just between you and God. All you have to say is this. You have to say, God, I I think I'm about this. And I won't comment it on any, any further. Just mark yourself. Just have a reality check. They were devoted, though, to what thing? The apostles' teaching. And the first thing that we need to see is that they were devoted to a particular group of people to teach them. It's the, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Who, what apostles? Those apostles' teaching, those guys, the 12 that were, that's them. They were sort of saying, okay, guys, what we'll do is we'll follow you, we'll learn from you. And their intention was to to say, okay, we're going to do this to this group, to this group alone. (laughs) That's hard, isn't it? Because aren't all churches the same? Are, are they? Come on, you know Nigel. This is the universal church. No, come on. If if you you have to deal with this in your heart, they were uh, devoted to these apostles' teaching, to this group of apostles. See what you're going to do is write notes now and send me an email. But it's true. What were, they, uh, what were they added to? Peter's sermon. No. They were baptized. They received the Holy Spirit. They were added to a new society that would, be, that would be built by these particular people. And we're led by a local elders and apostles. We have those. And here's the embarrassing thing. Am I asking you to be devoted to us? It's embarrassing, but yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm asking you to follow us as elders. I'm asking you to make that choice against another group. I'm not dissing the other group. I don't want to do that theologically or in any way, shape or form. I want to honour them. I'm saying for it to work... You have to be devoted to a group of people. You have to submit yourself to people. Hard one that, isn't it? But true. So not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' doctrine, the people, uh, the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Acts chapter two, verse forty-two tells that that their teaching shaped their lives, on which they would now live. It tells us that. Because he tells us that, that the church was built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. Jesus being at the cornerstone. What were they going to be taught? What was this teaching that would go into this early church? Well, one of it was, the beginning was, you are not just any longer a Jewish sect. You're not just built on the law and having the blood of Abraham pump through your veins. Because at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had been poured out on 3,000 different people. A completely new community with Jesus at the centre. This completely new community, not only with Jesus at the centre, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were asking these uh, new apostles to bring them insights, which Scripture tells us was previously not revealed regarding who this Jesus was, why he came, what he was about, regarding what it meant to be repent, to be forgiven, what the, what the resurrection meant, what the ascension meant, what it meant for him to be exalted, what it meant for him to return again. Explaining that he didn't just survive death, that he was the son of God and it was the power of the resurrection that raised him. And in those early statements, with Jesus at the cornerstone of everything, we realise that the church is still built with Jesus at the cornerstone of what we do. That if by any chance we move away from this, we actually fail to build. That Jesus still remains at the cornerstone and he's still everything that we preach. And so the church is what? Devoted to the work of the cross and the preaching of the cross. The church is committed to explaining that Jesus is ruler of the universe, that he has unsaleable authority, that he is seated on David's throne far above all authority and power, that he is the name above every name, and that everything has been placed under his feet, including Satan. And so as as apostolic apostolic preaching brings to us, it tells us that we are devoted to exalting Jesus, of giving him. That's what apostolic preaching does. It exalts Jesus. It brings us into one focus and that one focus is this one man. The Spirit helps with that, you know. Because when the, this was a, a community filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you love Jesus. <laughs> and you see these people teaching, don't you, in the early books that Scripture shows us. It tells us that it says that, I love this, it says that Paul and the other p- apostles uh, were given unprecedented insights into what? The mystery of what? Christ. What, how do you build church? Then bring out the mystery of Christ. It tells us of a people that are no longer bricks but living stones being built together, fitted into a new temple which the Lord is building by his Spirit. It tells us that we are no longer under law but that we are under grace and we are free to call him Abba, Father. So when we're building this Jesus Christ ministry with him and the mysteries of Christ and all that comes into that, it also shows us that in doing that we show the work of Christ, which breaks down cultural barriers and is devoted for us corporately encountering God and being in his presence together. That was what the, the that's what the apostles were preaching. They were weren't preaching an individualistic relationship with God. They were, bre- they, were, so they were breaking down barriers so that together the people can experience God. This is the this is it, guys. This is what it should be about. I loved it this morning, singing those songs about Jesus. If you didn't love it, get a life. Come on. Apostolic. Doctrine gave the people identity and it told them who they were joined to. The question is, ah, but that was in scripture, that was then, we're different now. 21st century church and all that. No, <laughs> was it a one sin for all event? Well, in a sense, yes, and in another sense, no, because in one sense, yes, there is only one church, in another sense, Uh, There are are also a church after generation, after generation, after generation. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he will. That's the global church. He also said in Matthew 18, referring to an issue of discipline, he referred to the church as tell the local assembly, knowing that there would be local assembly, one after another after another. And each church needs to have this foundational stuff of the mysteries of Christ laid into it. An apostle teaching doesn't mean that we go on to higher stuff. It means we preach this stuff time after time. In fact, the Bible tells us that our sermon choice is made for us. How do we know that? Because Paul said he said what they said. What do you preach, Paul? He said me. I preach Christ and Him crucified. What do you preach, Paul? Well, I you know I have a few sermons on politics, the green issues. You know, I have a little bit on, you know, the, the Jubilee diamond celebrations, uh, Andy Murray at Wimbledon. Perhaps we could bring that into our sermon this morning. So I've got it in. We, I could bring, we could bring that into, you know, that sort of stuff. And, you know, what about the whole stuff about Israel and all that sort of stuff? We need to know all of these things. Paul said, no, he don't. He said, you need to know one thing and you don't. And the reason that you're struggling as you are struggling is that yet you don't know Christ and him crucified. That's the truth of it. The problem that you have with yourself and your pastoral issues you face is because you do not know yet Christ and him crucified. Because if you knew Christ and him crucified, you would be different. So that's why Paul goes on and on and on. What is this mystery of Christ? Do I need to hear it again and again? Yes, of course you do, because he hasn't changed you yet. That's why Paul puts these things in. He said, how do you preach these things? What about this Jesus stuff? And he says, in the context of eternity. So are we going to change? No. I'm going to be an old man, zimmer me up and preach Christ and him crucified. The woman is not for changing. It's true, guys. It really is true. Let me try and explain this a little bit further. It's a really bad thing you've done there, Nigel. I thought Red looked sexy, but he obviously doesn't. <laughs> the church at Corinth, you have to cut that one out for a you The church at Corinth, some years later, and many miles away from Jerusalem, was pioneered by Paul. How did Paul describe himself? He said, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, he said, he uh, he introduced himself as as Paul, an apostle, uh, uh, a wise and master builder that lays foundations. That's how he described himself. I love this because this helps us in where we are right now. So Paul went to a certain town, that certain town was Corinth, and he founded a local church. Let's just get this straight. It doesn't say that he founded a mission station. It says he founded a church. It doesn't say that he went there and painted the toilets. It says it doesn't say that he went there and established a school. This is a apostolic tea. If we're going to be a devoted some, we need to get this right. He didn't say that he went there at this point, put in a well. He didn't do that. It says that he went there and planted a church. And he built it on an apostolic foundation of Jesus Christ and grace. And he says, I am a master builder. What have the toilets? No, of church. Of church. He says, he describes himself in Romans, he said, I've received grace and, a, and, and, apost- uh, and uh, an apostleship to, to, to lay foundations in churches. Church after church after church. In fact, what, the way that Paul describes it, is he, he actually gives us a method. He actually says to us that the way that the gospel is preached is by planting Churches. That was the way that Paul saw it. His apostolic preaching was, let's get people saved and form them into a church. That was his priority. He encourages that. So, are you devoted not only to preaching the gospel, but devoted to planting churches? Wow. This is what it means to be devoted. I'm devoted to the gospel and to forming churches. That's the way that I'm going to. We're going to. We're going to see people saved. We're going to form them into a church. We're going to go on. It's the way that Paul did it. We're going to go on now. Preach the gospel. Form them into a church with Jesus Christ at the centre. We can do a well later. We lay these foundations. It wasn't the foundations of a green toilet block. It was the foundations of the mysteries of Christ. So here it is, church. Real challenge. What are you doing Tuesday night? Tuesday, I'm having a barbecue with my friends and neighbours. No, you're not. You are devoted to apostolic teaching as a church. Part of that apostolic teaching means that you're devoted to seeing churches planted again and again and again through the gospel and the mystery of Christ, with Christ at the centre. So Tuesday night, aren't you? You are so devoted to these things that you will be at Phil Harmon's house to pray with him that a church will be planted in D-side. Now you are uncomfortable. Tough. Sort it. Sort it. Come on, guys. We really have to do this. If we want to look like a New Testament church, we need to behave like a New Testament church. We should be in his front, in his conservatory, should be hot and smelly Tuesday night. We should be opening, and that's only because Phil hasn't had a shower, but... Tuesday night, we should be bursting through and crying out for God. God, let your gospel come and your church be planted here. It shows we're not devoted because of the last two prayer meetings that there's been filling a dog. We've actually given the notice out, but it has had no effect. This is, your, this is grace. First one, no effect. Second one, next one. Third one, guilt. The next Sunday morning. Guilt, law, and punishment will be the next, okay? That's the way that it will work after this. But I want you to see also that he, was, he describes himself as a wise master builder. I love this phrase because what he does is that in saying that he's a wise master builder, he actually doesn't put himself as a, at the top of a corporate pyramid. The, the phrase wise master builder is that I get on my hands and knees and I do it. That's how he does it. And, you know, he was not the chief executive in a complicated, you know, that sort of stuff. Not at all. He saw himself as the servant of the people. And if we're going to build apostolically, we have to build with a team of people who will serve you. Now I'm just going to get on my hot horse here just for a little bit because I am having a battle of wills with you guys. okay? Because the way that it works, and Steve admitted to me just yesterday that he had deliberately withdrawn something of information from you. And because I've got the microphone and he has not, I'm going to publicly correct it. And this is that when we had our serving rotors, what happened was something like this. That I think Steve Hawkins, this is on the internet and going right across the world, said to people, one of the reasons that we want to do this is to help Nigel. And you all signed up like great people. Yes, help Nigel. You were devoted to the apostles' teaching. No, you, you did this. And what happened is you all signed up. And every now and again, Steve goes round. Suddenly in the toilets, don't let Nigel go in the toilets. And he goes over to the, co- don't let Nigel go in the coffee thing. And he goes over here, don't let Nigel pick up a chair. Fact, some this morning, I picked up a chair and one of the students went, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> He's 18. That's <laughs> You're old enough to be my son, boy. Wait a minute. Uh, this is what happened. And I come into church and you feel people going, hmm. And it's always this, Steve Hawkins is out on the car park and he's going, Nigel's here. And I go into the kitchen and do, what, what are you doing in here? What are you doing? And I come in, I pick up a chair up and the students go, ah, 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 ah. And I, I got to move the offering bowl and they go, hmm. And it's just like this, this is what happens. There's no to do. The only answer for this is a white suit and a limo and an helicopter. I might as well follow the same journey and carry on. Why don't you come and pick me up on a Sunday, put me in the back of the car, carry me there and bring in my briefcase and sit it down at the front row and I'll sit there. I'll wear a suit and a tie. Put me on the God channel if you like. No, let me hear this in front of... Belinda, have him on the way back. Is this, while I have legs, I will serve. I will not do that because I am called to be your servant. So, okay, you can stop me because the back is dicky. But I'm still going to serve coffee, put the chairs out when I can, sweep up if I can and clean the toilets. Okay? I just want you to know that. Because the heart of leadership, apostolic leadership, is servant. I know I've made light of that. And I've embarrassed Steve Hawkins. But he admitted to me sin yesterday. And I thought, he does not know what's coming, but he's going to get it. Okay, where am I? I haven't got a clue. See, Paul had this stewardship from God. I think it's wonderful. How did he explain it? He said, he kept saying this time and time again. I, I, am, I, I do it to proclaim what? The unfathomable riches of Christ. What a wonderful statement. The unfathomable riches of the liberal Democrats. No. The unfathomable riches of Rome. How dare we move from it? How dare we? How dare we? And that should be our burden. So there is a body of doctrine that we should preach. Paul didn't wonder what he would preach. He knew what he'd got to preach. He'd been commissioned to it. We know that because we'd just looked at that. How did he know how long he'd got to carry on preaching this? said thing, the mystery of Christ, and not move on to the Lib Dems. How did he know? Because he knew that the saints hadn't grasped it. That was the issue, really. He knew that people were, were not released in joy and expression and building church in the way that they should be. He knew that it didn't look like. So he kept going, said no, I'm going to keep going to this till it does look like this. He knew that people were locked into bondage and issues and that legalism was creeping through. He wrote letters because of these same things, warned people about Gnosticism. And I want to suggest the same is today. The same is today that modern churches still need the authoritative word, that will set them free from legalism and super spirituality and other dangers. People come to church for all sorts of different reasons, don't they? That's, and and, and the, many evangelicals have often thought that liberalism is the great enemy. Oh, See the church down the road. Vicar's wearing purple now. All that sort of stuff. No, that's not the great, great enemy, it's more subtle more subtle we move into legalism it looks commendable but it's not it's false zeal paul had no hesitation in dealing with the church that got into legalism he said no that's another gospel said he not to be received even from an angel So devoted to the apostles' doctrine means actually that we are devoted to smash anything that looks like super-spiritualism, superstition, and false tradition. It means that we'll do it. But we've always done it this way. Yeah, that's the back gone. Apostolic is to do that. Apostolic, we have to do that. So let's bring this to a conclusion then. Be honest, how many average evangelical churches are deeply assured that through Christ's death and resurrection they have been delivered from all sin? Be honest, our sin plagues us, so we're not there yet. How many of us have really died to the law and yet are still motivated by it? Not there yet then. How many of us are free completely from condemnation? Then we're not there yet. Therefore, apostolic input is desperately needed. How many of us are governed not by Christ and Christ in us, but by our own faults and shortcomings? Then we need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Sometimes wrong emphasis in a church can end up building things that are focused on self and not Christ. I find sometimes that I'm spiritually cold. Do you? you find that? You sing a song and it doesn't really affect me. I find that sometimes that I've, I've got what might be called doctrinal off-centeredness. I read something and try and adjust it to my own particular need. I've had that, you know, with sermons. You can preach a sermon, you can preach a whole sermon, and somebody can say, when you said that, it made me think of this. And that's because they, they've come with their situation. And, and they have skewed it, off, off to make it fit. I'm like that. I, I've gone to meetings thinking, I actually went, I've been to meetings thinking, if, if only I could have a prophecy, that would be the one. Somebody could prophesy about my particular need. Sometimes you go to churches and you just think, "Um, can you just turn this off at this point, Phil? Tape back on. Do you know, there are probably things that we do that need smashing before they get too big. We've had people in our midst. Let me just check not here today who have said i will not take communion that way and have refused to break bread because we did it in a particular way what in fact we've had people say to us i I couldn't possibly do that no no no. what are you asking me to do then isn't those just needs for for apostolic (laughs) we're not there yet then are we guys Okay, I'm nearly end, because, yes. I, I just want you to know that we as elders are devoted to the principle of, of apostolic teaching, not just because we uh, believe uh, that we're commissioned to God to bring in it, but that we need it too. And that we, we need apostolic teaching to come in our lives so that you are protected, and that you are also, that we don't go bananas and off the walls. So we need people that will speak into our lives. And sometimes as, as elders we, we think, well, now what do we do? What well, what do we do with the problem of calyloid? And such is the enormity of the problem of calyloid that we think we have no way of answering this. We need to get apostolic advice. And we've done that. We have sat several times as, as elders and gone and said, look, we're unsure about this. We're unsure about the way that this is going. Please could we take advice from from you, so you probably know that we we do that, and uh, as your elders, we don't lead the church uh, on our own, we submit to apostolic leadership, which actually means that if I am in error, I am out. Now that might happen to me if I am in sin, I am out. It's simple, really I, I don't object to that at all. I feel safe because of that. And I feel that you are well represented because of that. And... uh you know that when we set Steve and Apart and Phil apart for eldership you remember big Tony Smith who came and did that he was involved in the process Tony has been involved in the process uh, of different things at different times we've asked different people at different times issues of theology and stuff like that we've spoken to different people at different times when we've got in fact what you need to know is that actually as elders we are meeting with the whole new frontiers north team uh, a week on Wednesday We're spending an evening with them, just talking about, okay, where do we go uh, from here? So we, as elders, we submit to to that. So what is your role? This is my conclusion. Your your role is this, uh, to be devoted, to be taught. We can only preach apostolic doctrine. But all of us, including me, when I listen to these guys preach, I have to be devoted to applying it. And there's, there's a heart that is out there when people are preaching. And this is, okay, teach me. I want to learn from you. I want to change. It is that the Holy Spirit is that you're saying, Lord, fill me with the Spirit so that I can sense what the Spirit is saying to me right now as this person preaches. There's a devotion that sort of says, okay, I'm going to sit on the edge of my seat and drink this in. Okay. There's a tender heart as people preach and lead. but There's a heart to do something with the stuff that you've just heard. And that's the interesting thing. If I would say the biggest frustration that I hear sometimes from Phil and Steve's uh, mouth, it's that they put an awful lot of work, and both of them work. I can sit in the daytime and prepare. They can't. They put an awful lot of work in the evenings, and it just feels that it goes. And they've often said to me, It just went. Just went. You see, what happens in the meeting is not the point. What happens after the meeting is always the point. It's today what you do with this that is the point. It isn't that you listen to it, ticked off sermon. It's now what am I going to do with that and what am I going to change? Jesus in John fifteen seven said this, If my words abide in you, his words have to find a home in us. They have to be at home in us. If my words have a home in us, if my words abide in you, we have to invite them in. Come and be in my home. It's his words abide, his words abide in this home. I have to take them and put them in here. John 8, 37. Jesus, I know That you are Abram's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. How does error come? When when there's no when the words don't come and find a home in you? When you mark me at a ten or you know, whether you just gonk through it. I don't know. But the interesting thing is what John. What well, what Jesus is saying here is that if if it doesn't find a home in you, you will stray. I know that you are Abram's offerings, yet you seek to kill me. Why? Because my words don't find any place in you. Error comes when the word. So when the words of Jesus are added to us and it finds a home, it helps us not to stray, but to belong. How do you feel that you belong? Do you feel you belong in this church? It's a big question, isn't it? That's probably because our words have not found a, a place in your heart. You've sort of... That's these particular men's words have found a place in your heart. The product of this, according to those verses, is transformation, holiness, faith, Christ-likeness, and expansion so my prayer is this lord i want to be a new testament christian i I want to be devoted do you want to come with me on that Amen. amen